Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you're listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. And today, I am very excited to be speaking with Tommy Tai, who is the author of a new book called Hashtag Blessed Mother, How to Follow, Share, and Defend Mary in the World of Social Media. I've been a follower of Tommy Tai's on social media for a very long time now. And before, formerly, he did a podcast called The Catholic Hipster Podcast. He did The Chimney. And now he does St. Dymphna's Playbook. He has several books out there with Ave Maria Press and with other uh, publishing houses as well. And his latest book, uh, Hashtag Blessed Mother, is available from OSV. So welcome to How They Love Mary, Tommy. Thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing to be with you. Well, it's great, and I've been looking forward to your book ever since I saw the cover drop on Twitter uh, a long time ago, maybe several months ago, and uh, highly anticipated it. It took me about a week to read, and uh, I think it was a, a wonderful introduction to the Blessed Virgin Mary. It's a, uh, As a Marian theologian, of course, it's not a deep text, and so that's what I think people will appreciate about it. It's a nice introduction to Mary for the common person, but also through the lens of something that we're all very familiar with, and that's social media, how we Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and TikTok, all of these different platforms, and really to present Mary through the lens of that. And kind of just to give the readers a, a little bit, um, there's the each chapter uh, has the feeling when, and so that's an abbreviation, TFW. Uh, you might see that on social media. Um there's also no filter, of course, on Instagram. Sometimes uh, you put a filter on the pictures you post in case you missed it. Uh, just wonderful little things that how you incorporate the lingo of social media into uh, the book and the presentation of the Blessed Virgin. But you are a wonderful personality on social media. And I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about uh, about you, about the, your book, about doing this interview. And she asked me, well, how did he ever get so many followers? How did he become this <laughs> social media popular person, like uh, what we would call a Catholic social media influencer? Uh, I just was listening to a video from Olivia Harris the other day, and she called it Catholic Creatives. Uh, that was her way to kind of say people that produce content, put it out there, not to use the word influencer. But of course, Pope Francis used the word right, influencer. Right. I was thinking uh, of that. <laughs> yeah, to talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary. Anyways, so I guess, how, when did you set up your Twitter account, and how did you rise to such popularity over the years that you've had it? Uh, I believe it was 2014, and then the answer to your next question is, I have no idea. <laughs> sure. I think it's, people I, I, really I, like the witty things you post. It's very interesting. I, I, I don't really know. And it, it's the one thing about social media that I'm sure you've realized that you don't really think about is um, you don't really, you can't really predict what things that you share resonate with people and what don't. And so I think that's that's part of my, my um, not really fathoming a good answer to your question because sometimes I'll, I'll share something and think, ah, this is really going to resonate and click with people. And and uh, it doesn't. And then other times I will just fire off something to share that's just kind of matter of fact and people, um, it really does say something to people. So I think that's such an interesting thing. Um, as a therapist, I, a mental health therapist, I find that too, where I think 
the times when I think that I'm having the most impact, I'm really not. And when when I feel like I'm not doing much for people, they really are experiencing a profound change. So I, I guess you can only explain that by the Holy Spirit because our, our plans uh, don't work out the way they want. We think that they should. The Holy Spirit takes care of everything. <laughs> And that's a, a great point that you bring out because sometimes when I tweet, I'm like, I think this is going to be a very popular tweet. People are really going to like it and just kind of falls flat, gets maybe 30 likes or something like that. And then you can tweet something and you're like, I don't know how this got 32,000 impressions. <laughs> and so sometimes <laughs> these things just take off. But as you said, even as a preacher myself, uh, Sunday Masses or daily Masses, even today, um, the Feast of the Holy Cross, I preached a homily, took a line from a cemetery gravestone that I found just last week. And I preached on it and someone came into the office after mass and they said, oh, your homily really meant so much to me today. And I'm like, well, you know, thank the priest that put that on his gravestone. But we never know <laughs> the impact that our words will have. And what we intend might be even greater because, as you said, the Holy Spirit really takes off with it. So just for, for people's record, they could follow you on Twitter. You are at the GH Asylum, your last name is T-I-G-H-E, so people might want to say Tig or T-Gay right. <laughs> or something, but the GH is silent, and uh, that's your handle. And you currently today, you have 27.8 thousand followers and 39 thousand tweets. That's too many tweets, that's for sure. <laughs> You wouldn't want to be the congregation in Rome that would have to go over uh, all of your <laughs> tweets for your canonization process. Now, maybe here's just another question about your Twitter page. Now, you are verified, and actually, you took some heat this past week because someone's like, how is it that Tommy Ty is verified, but Taylor Marshall is not verified, and he has more followers and is a greater influencer <laughs> and all this stuff, but how is it that you came about to get verified by Twitter? Because you've been ver verified for a very long time. Uh, yeah, so I think it was back a long time ago, maybe after I wrote my first book, when you were able to just go on Twitter and say, you know, I, I do this one thing to produce to produce content, and I'd like to be verified, please, so that people don't set up fake accounts. Um, and back then, you could just apply, and if you had, you know, like a website and a book or a radio show or something like that, then they would consider it and they would verify people. Uh, and then me, I think recently, maybe in the last like year or two, they stopped doing that. So I think that, um, yeah, when people are like, how come I'm not verified? And, you know, people who have a huge following or whatever, I think it's just because Twitter stopped, stopped allowing people to apply for verification. So snuck it in under the wire back in the day. Now, Twitter is your domain. You don't do Facebook. You don't do... Um... Instagram, I don't think, but why did you choose Twitter over every other platform? Hmm. I, I think that uh, I never really got into Facebook. I tried when it was a kind of earlier on a long time ago, and it never really clicked with me. Um, and I guess Twitter was fun for me because it was really brief and short, um, you know, some sort of like small quip that could be kind of funny. Um, and, and once you delve into Twitter and find a bunch of Catholic people on there, it's really a uh, a very supportive and, and kind and loving community most of the time. And I think that that's uh, really nice. The reason I, d I have an Instagram account, I don't use it too much. It's like I don't I don't have any very exciting things that I do that I take pictures of. <laughs> and I don't like to share images of my children online. I, I think that that kind of, uh, maybe I'm a little bit old compared to the younger generation where I still have like a hang up about sharing pictures of my kids on the internet. So uh, Facebook and Instagram, you know, things like Snapchat and TikTok seem more geared towards that kind of a thing. Uh, whereas Twitter can be text or or, you know, an image that you pull off Google Images of the Blessed Virgin Mary, for example, or something like that. So it fits more in terms of my 
internet privacy schema, maybe. <laughs> and how did it come about that you wrote a book about the Blessed Mother incorporating all of these different ideas from social media? So uh, Sarah Reinhardt, who works with our Sunday visitor, I've, I've been a uh, friend with her for a very long time online. Uh, she came to me and asked if I had interest in writing a book about uh, the saints. That was her idea, uh, specifically a book about saints that stalk us through our life, which was like a really cool idea where, um, you know, we don't seek out saints, but then we see how a saint kind of was there all along seeking us out. Um, when I tried to sit down and start thinking about that book and mapping it out, I didn't really have enough saints that had stalked me in interesting ways to create a book down the ages. So so I was trying to figure out like a different spin on it. Uh, and the one obvious saint who had been kind of in my life throughout uh, weaving in and out of all of my personal stories was Mary. Um, and then it just kind of came naturally to think about um, basically reflecting on my own experience online. Um, just as an example, like we're recording this, what today's the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. So two days ago was the Feast of the Most Holy Name of Mary. And you can you can tweet something as innocuous as, you know, Happy Feast of the Holy Name of Mary, and, and people will climb into your notifications and mentions really uh, questioning your belief in the Blessed Virgin, um, you know, saying even kind of really not appropriate things about Mary, just really hurtful things, and, and people demanding explanations. And I think that uh, over the last six years or so on, in social media, I've really learned how to uh, better deal with them, better keep my uh, space to be able to stay mentally healthy and emotionally healthy online. And so I wanted to share that with people to kind of share how to respond because you can really be taken aback or a lot of times as Catholics, we know what we believe, but maybe not why we believe it. So I wanted to kind of give a simple roadmap for people on how to defend Mary online and share with other people. That's great. And the funny thing is, is the day that I started reading your book, and actually in your In Case You Missed It chapter, in which you focus on Marian apparitions, you talk about the Wisconsin apparition and Champion, Wisconsin. And oh, I, yeah. live, I live 20 minutes from there. I'm the bishop's theologian for the shrine. I've done a lot of writing and devotionals about the shrine. And I actually started reading it while I was in line for confession there. And, nice. um, I, I, after my confession, then I went and I prayed a, a few Hail Marys before the image of Our Lady as she appeared to Adele, uh, Our Lady of Champion, Our Lady of Good Help, the Queen of Heaven, whichever name you wish to prefer. And I decided, you know, I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to share this on social media. So I put it on my Instagram, then it went to my personal Facebook page, put it on Twitter, all this stuff. And on my personal Facebook page, an individual comments, and I know that this guy is a Bible-believing Christian, and he doesn't like marrying devotion, and he's a Baptist, and he commented, he's like, oh, that is an idol, and you know, <laughs> went on and on. I'm just like, how funny that I just started reading this book. But then, you know, he said something about Mary and he spelt it M-A-R-R-Y. It was a simple typo, right? But then right. someone starts attacking him like, who is Mary? M-A-R-R-Y. Mm, right, and then right. It's like, well, why do we have to get down to the grammar? Like, why can't we just actually talk about the Blessed Virgin and help him to understand who Mary is and the role of salvation history rather than kind of being a jerk about it? So I ended, right. up, <laughs> I ended up deleting the guy's second comment uh, because because uh, the guy went on, he, he said, well, I mean the mother of Jesus. And then the guy went back and said, well, that's M-A-R-Y, not M-A-R-R-Y. I'm just like, right. come on. As if that matters, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. There, you, you could have helped him, but instead you chose to ridicule him and make fun of him. And I'm sure that didn't do anything for the kingdom. But right. I just thought it was a happen chance uh, as I was going through this book that that experience literally lived out on my social media feed, everything that you wrote about uh, in this book. 
one of the things you do in hashtag Blessed Mother, how to follow, share, and defend Mary in the world of social media, is that you share a lot of your own personal life. You share some of your personal devotion. And one of the things, I came across this a long time ago on your social media, but along uh, it was your uh, devotion to the Seven Sorrows Rosary. And I guess, could you just share about how you discovered the Seven Sorrows Rosary and uh, what it's meant to you in your devotional life? Oh, definitely. Um, when uh, Let's see, after my wife and I were married, but before we had children, we started um, a little prayer group with friends, just a really... Um, you know, not connected to anything, just like our friends. We we said, how about we just get together every week and have a prayer group? Um, and every week, a different member of the group selected uh, the the way that we would pray that that um, upcoming week. So it wasn't like we prayed a rosary every time, but it'd be like, hey, I, I found this really cool litany. Like, let's try this litany together. So we were really like uh, taking turns, like sharing what we found interesting in the spiritual life. Um, and we had some friends who in Southern California went to Servite High School, a pretty popular uh, Catholic high school here in California. And the Servite Order uh, is the order that has this devotion to the Seven Sorrows of Mary. It's actually called the Servite Rosary, if you look it up, uh, or that's one of the names of it. Uh, and so we went through this prayer together that I had never prayed before, and, and our friend gave everybody uh, a Servite Rosary and the booklet on how to pray it. Um, and yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. So, I mean, many of them are, are mysteries of the rosary themselves, right? Um, so the seven sorrows of Mary uh, include things like the prophecy of Simeon, right? Um, the Holy Family leaving uh, and having to take off, right? Uh, the loss of the child Jesus in the temple. So like in the joyful mysteries, we have the finding of the child Jesus. In the sorrows of Mary, we have the loss of the child Jesus. Hmm. Um, Jesus and Mary meeting on the way of the cross, the crucifixion, um, Jesus being taken down from the cross and laid in Mary's arms, and then uh, Jesus being uh, buried in the tomb. So so you go through these things, and it's uh, an Our Father and seven Hail Marys and a couple other prayers uh, for each mystery. So so it was really cool because I think when we started this prayer group, I didn't even really know about like chaplets other than the chaplet of Divine Mercy, um, these different chaplets and different uh, uses of the rosary beads that I'd never encountered, even though I'd been a cradle Catholic, you know, um, and I found it fascinating. So fast forwarding through my life, um, we had a lot of different trials, a lot of difficulties through our life, probably the most being the loss of our son when he was a baby. Um, and this prayer, uh, and to make a long story short, this prayer of Mary's sorrows was so powerful and meaningful to me because I found myself being angry at God for letting bad things happen in our life. Um, and this devotion to the seven sorrows really helped me kind of more properly understand um, what we were being asked and to, to go through and being welcomed into. Um, you know, if the Blessed Virgin Mary was asked to walk through this situation where her son was died, you know, died right before her eyes and she had to hold his body and all of these things like, um, and it, I'm not saying this happened immediately. It took me a long time to get here, but through this devotion, I felt um, kind of honored to be able to walk through this similar experience to her. And I think I never would have really had that light bulb realization if I didn't have the groundwork from that devotion in the beginning. Also in the book, we talk about uh, Our Lady of Cabejo, right, in, in Africa, where uh, Mary encourages people to pray this this Seven Sorrows uh, Rosary. And that's, I came upon that like much later and, and just really doubled down my devotion to this prayer. So people should check it out. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And uh, it's really powerful. Thank you so much for sharing your story and kind of the personal dimension, how you were able to relate, uh, especially with the mourning of the Blessed Virgin Mary and walking through that with her. 
I know this past weekend at all of my masses, I actually added an intention to the prayers of the faithful, knowing that it was the feast of, of Our Lady of Sorrows. I and I mentioned that I said Tuesday is the feast of Our Lady of Sorrows. So let us pray for parents who are mourning the death of a child, and for children that are mourning the death of their parents, and anyone else who mourns that they might be consoled by the prayers of the Blessed Virgin. And that was just my way uh, to pray for people because I've had seven funerals in 14 days uh, a few weeks mm -hmm. ago. And so I, I went through the funeral rites every day I had a funeral one week. And so um, I just knew that there were people grieving, whether that was a child or a parent or whoever. And uh, I think that this devotion then to Our Lady is one that can really help people. Now, when it comes to the Seven Sorrows Rosary, do you pray this every day? Do you just pray it on Tuesdays was, I think, what Our Lady of Cabejo asked for. How does that fit into your devotional life? Or Oh, you sure, say, yeah. Do you pray this one, the Seven Sorrows Rosary, more than you would pray the traditional Dominican Rosary? Yeah, I pray this Seven Sorrows Rosary. Um, I'd like to say I pray it every day. More realistically, I'd say it's five days a week because I use my commute to work as an opportunity to pray. Use my car as a little <laughs> chapel because it's a nice uh, silent, you know, I, I live in the Bay Area in California, so I have like a one hour each way commute to work every day. Um, and that's a great opportunity to be able to to uh, step away and pray. And, and currently where I'm at at my devotion is I... Um, each sorrow, I offer up the intentions for one member of my family. Uh, it just so happens there's enough of us to where it works out to all seven. Um, and so every day when I drive to work, I, I pray that prayer. Beautiful. Now, there's another devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary that you have engaged in your own life, and that's called the Little Office of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Now, as a priest, I pray something called the Liturgy of the Hours, and I pray that five times a day. And for the little office, this is kind of another little kind of substitute for the liturgy of the hours, especially for the lay faithful. It's somehow associated, I think, with the brown scapular, that if people wear the brown scapular, they should say the little office or five decades of the rosary each day. How did you find the little office of the Blessed Virgin and what role does that play in your life now? Do you pray it again every day? Is it just one of those things? Maybe you do it one day a week, a Saturday or and why should people I was pray it? Yeah, yeah. I actually, just to show that social media can be good, I heard about the little office on Twitter, people talking about it and, and posting pictures of the book that they had. Um, and so I went out and got a copy of it. I actually also found, um, I, I do a lot of spiritual reading from Dorothy Day, and she had a strong devotion to the Psalms. I think most people know that she had a very strong devotion to the Psalms her whole life, uh, even before she was a Christian, really. Um, but that she found the little office to be something that she would pray quite often too. So uh, I love it. There were times when I was praying it every day. Uh, more recently, my wife and I have been delving into the spirituality of the Holy Family Institute. And when you're kind of a postulant in this Holy Family Institute, they encourage you to kind of pray the prayers of the Institute um, so that you can really discern if this is what the Holy Spirit's calling you towards. So we're, we've shifted like to this, but I was praying the little office every day. Um, I, I like it. You know, I, there there was a Lent a long time ago when I decided to pray the, the Liturgy of the Hours, like you, Father, at all the hours of the day. And I found it um, profoundly beautiful. Uh, it was amazing. It was it was just uh, such a deep connection that I felt to the church when I was praying those prayers and to the feast days. Like it was a very special way to be connected to the calendar, the liturgical calendar. But then also like because I'm also slightly scrupulous, I would have a very hard time with like missing hours, even though as a lay person, right, we're not like uh, required to pray it or anything, but it would make me uh, stressed out. The little office was a great uh, middle way because it's shorter. 
um, and it's repetitious. Um, so it's like the same, you know, every day of the week is it repeats every single week. So it doesn't necessarily go along with the feast days, but rather the day of the week. Um, so that was a little bit simpler for me. It would help me to memorize it a little bit better. Um, so if people have had any interest in praying the hours, but feel like it's just too much, um, the little office is a great middle way. And it's just, there's some really, really profound, uh, spiritual writing. So, so those who have prayed the office before they, they know that there's um, you know there's scripture reading there's psalms or scripture reading and then there's usually like a, a reflection from like a saint uh, or, or just a holy writing from from history and there's some really really profound profound uh, thoughts about Mary from some of the saints in the little office that um, will really like set your devotion on fire just like things you haven't thought of or things that you've thought about and didn't quite understand that are just articulated so beautifully and perfectly so it's a really cheap little blue book that you can get on Amazon or anywhere else that you want to go get it and it's it's beautiful it's powerful and when they go to Amazon, they should look up your book as well and read it and to help them to understand the Blessed Mother. And one of the things you share in the book, too, is your discovery of true devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary through Louis de Montfort. And uh, as you shared about it, it was you're going to adoration. You found this book and you started reading it almost every day when you would go to that adoration chapel. So then you went through that process of doing the total consecration to Jesus through Mary. Maybe could you just share a little bit about what that meant to you, finding this book, going through this process of consecration and what it means now as you live out your consecration? Oh, most definitely. Uh, so yeah, during that time, actually, we were having a very stressful time where we had decided sort of, uh, you know, uh, without too much thought that we were going to leave where we lived and move up to the Bay Area to be close to my wife's family. We had a home that we'd kind of recently purchased. And so we moved up here and moved in with her parents while we were waiting for our house to sell and things weren't going along very well. It was very slow going waiting for offers because the, you know, the market was very slow at that time. Um, and so I was stressed out. I was really stressed and it was getting to me and, and I started going to an adoration chapel nearby on my lunch breaks from work. And like you said, just kind of stumbled upon this little small book, the true devotion. Um, and, and I found it and you know, it's like you, sometimes you just have to accept that God is trying to do something in your life, right? Like, uh, so I said there, there has to be a reason this book is sitting on top of the, on top of this table when I walk in. So I picked it up and, uh, started reading it and it, it's so fantastic. And if you ever need a devotion that you need to defend on social media, boy, St. Louis de Montfort and his um, his flowery language about the Blessed Virgin Mary is something that would truly blow the minds of anyone who wasn't Catholic and, and really blows the minds of people who are Catholic too because he really uh, takes the hyperdulia as far as you possibly can when it, when it goes to the, the Blessed Virgin. Um, but this, this was a very profound thing for me because uh, I, I realized, you know, that there's a there's a theme that we always think about, like, I want to do God's will. I want my life to be what God wants it to be. Um, so I want to try to work hard to, like, do the things that I think God wants. But this true devotion really taught me this other path um, of spirituality, which is the idea of um, total abandonment. Not, not necessarily trying to figure out what God wants and trying to do the right thing, which is great, but instead just handing my life completely over to Jesus through Mary and saying, it's, it's all yours, whatever, whatever you want. And, and that really changed my prayer life um, from really a prayer life of asking for things, begging for help, asking for certain things to be fixed in my life, uh, and, and turned it into sort of just saying, you know, I mean, you, Mary knows what I need. She knows what's going to help me. 
and I trust her and I trust Jesus. So that became more of my prayer through that spirituality. Like I just trust in you and I give it all to you, whatever you want, I'm ready to take it. Um, and of course that's a two steps forward, one step back kind of spirituality when you're also still tied to the world so much, but it really helped me to reformulate the way that I pray uh, and the way that I expect God to come into my life, this idea of total abandonment. So it's been it's been fantastic for me. Of course, when you post online that you're a slave of of the Blessed Virgin Mary and the slave of Jesus through her, boy, you'll get a lot of comments that from people who are very puzzled. So <laughs> for sure. You know, the book True Devotion to Mary is one that I've listened to actually in the past month or two months. I've listened to it on Audible three different times because Ave Maria Press has asked me to write a 10-day retreat book based on True Devotion to Mary. And kind of the premise is, is that so many people find the book difficult. I remember picking it up as a teenager and I tried thumbing through it and I kind of just abandoned it. I gave up on it. And I think that's been the case for other people that sometimes there might be something that St. Louis de Montfort says and they don't understand it. And then they kind of just walk away from it rather than trying to delve a little deeper. And so I'm trying to create some sort of introduction uh, to true devotion to Mary, trying to make it a bit more accessible and bringing out some of the key points of it uh, before someone would do that. So I totally get what you're saying, because even sometimes as a theologian, I have to reread a sentence. I'm like, I don't know if I agree with this, but he's a saint and he must be right. (laughs) And I have to figure out how he's right. So exactly. Yeah, I think that's the big key. It's like, you know that you know what St. Louis de Montfort is not saying, you know, he's definitely not saying something. So then everything he says has to fit into what we know to be truth about Mary and about Christ. And I think that's a very helpful starting point for how to look at uh, the words that he uses. I mean, I'm sure there's also like some translation issues that come across from the French, but but you're right, it's very challenging. And thank God for the internet. And thank God for your devotion or for your devotional, you're going to write because sometimes I would read something thing he wrote and I would like hop online and Google it and be like, wait, what, <laughs> what does this mean? Right. Um, and there's some helpful, some helpful work throughs out there. <laughs> now, uh, when it comes to the blessed mother, we all have fostered a devotion to her in some way. And for some people, it might be a very small devotion. It might be, they simply pray a hail Mary with their kids, but that's a devotion to Mary. They're asking Mary to pray for them, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. And I believe that no prayer that we say is, not meaningful. So every prayer that we pray has meaning, that words mean things. And uh, that's the beauty of all the prayers that we have uh, addressed to the Blessed Virgin. So people turn to her. They pray novenas to her in times of need. Maybe uh, they visit her shrines. They ask for a particular grace. And people see it. And that's one of the things that I've always said about Marian devotion and piety is that people have done it. It works because God gives grace through the hands of Mary, that when they've gone to the shrine and prayed for something, that they've received something because of it. So it's just something that has stood the test of time. And we see all of these mementos that are left at at shrines, crutches or canes, braces, whatever. And that's a testament to the power of Mary's prayers. In your own life, have you experienced the power of Mary's prayers and how? Oh, a hundred percent. And, you know, I would say with what you were saying, one thing that I think is so important that people understand about Catholicism um, that I have found is that Catholicism, I think people think that it's this religion where you are told what to believe and there are these rules and you should accept it no matter what. But something that that the devotion to Mary really kind of puts in uh, perspective for us is that Catholicism is really like 
this is what is true. Now look at your own life and look at your experiences and match up what is true with your experiences. And I think that that is such an important message for people to think about, uh, especially when it comes to the Blessed Mother, because, you know, we look at our own lives and we look at the importance of our mothers and we look at the role of the family and, you know, what a mother does for her son and that relationship and how it works. Um, and so it makes sense that we have devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary. So something we have to remember when people challenge us online about our devotion or about Catholicism in general is that Catholicism makes sense based on our experience of the world and relationships and our humanity. And so I think that's something we have to keep playing in our mind. For me, though, uh, I have seen her prayers impact my life in so many ways. Uh, I write a story about us praying a rosary when it seemed like we were going to, you know, die on a on a car ride uh, in a snowstorm and we couldn't see and we were slipping and sliding on the side of a mountain and um, my mom pulled out her rosary and we said we started praying and this crucifix that was like hanging from the uh, rearview mirror I can still think of it, it gives me chills that was swinging back and forth like as soon as we started praying the rosary it completely stopped moving even though we were still sliding and. I still think, see that image and how powerful it was. Like, no reason for it to stop swinging. We were still driving wildly across the road, and it stopped when we were praying the rosary. Um, when my mom died, uh, and we had a, a rosary uh, the night before her funeral, um, I was so bitter and so angry and so upset about what had happened. Uh, and as we were praying the rosary uh, in, the, in the chapel, like, a bird flew into the chapel while we were praying. Um, and my anger... This bird, is it, it doesn't really, you know, have any point except for I just, like, looked up at it, and I realized that as we were praying the rosary, like, I felt this peace and happiness, like, pouring over me, just like if you could picture, like, a pitcher being poured out on my head, and I felt it, like, going through my body, and I actually started smiling while we were praying this rosary for my mother, uh, and I, I, it was so profound, it was such a profound emotional shift that I had not done anything to to put into motion, that it was so, uh, I was so sure that it was Mary kind of stepping in and interceding for me. In so many other cases where she has made her presence known and her care for me known, um, it's just irrefutable to me. And I, I do talk a lot in the book about how when we share about Mary, um, our experiences are going, those kind of experiences are going to be more powerful for people to hear and understand than uh, our biblical apologetics, even though those are also important. Uh, our experiences are kind of irrefutable and really get at the heart of people who are kind of searching. You talked about Catholicism making sense and how devotion to Mary makes sense as she is a mother, as she cares for us. And we know that she comes to us in apparitions and the, that makes sense that she comes to renew the message of her son, Jesus. She draws us back. But then there are some of these things that don't make sense in terms of apparitions, where you have maybe Our Lady appearing on a waffle or someone sees her there. <laughs> and you tell a fascinating story about Our Lady of the Chocolate, that some chocolate factory by where you live, that they were putting out chocolate in their molds and everything like that. And on one of them, it looked like the Blessed Virgin Mary. And people began to flock there. And I guess there is something about it that the idea that, well, there's this image of Mary on this chocolate, and I guess it piques one's mind or curiosity. Maybe it brought someone there. Maybe it brought someone to investigate the Blessed Virgin Mary a little bit. Who knows? Uh, so maybe there was some good that came out of it. But of course, these are things that aren't investigated by the church. 
Now, you didn't go. You chose not to go see the Chocolate Mary. And I'm just wondering whatever happened to Chocolate Mary. Does this chocolate store <laughs> still have it on display or has it <laughs> since been eaten? I wonder. I, I hope they didn't eat it, but it's not. It's no longer a, a scene of fascination around town, that's for sure. I think as with many of these things, there's like a huge peak in interest and, and a big devotion, and slowly it kind of uh, drifts away. And, and because the church doesn't kind of investigate these kind of issues or these kind of, um, you know, quasi-apparitions or, or things that pop up like that, I think they just sort of drift from public consciousness. But I mean, the thing about it is uh, that, that I can, that I see, and it gives me hope, is is that every single person that goes or even reads the story or is interested in it uh, when one of these things happen, it shows that uh, somewhere deep within our human nature, there's a desire to connect with something more than we see with our senses and experience. We all have this desire for something transcendent, something more than what's happening in our lives. Um, and so that's why these things kind of get us excited. Uh, maybe this is something that kind of can, can connect us to, to a deeper spirituality. And, and for me, that gives me a lot of hope because in this increasingly secular world, sometimes we think nobody even cares about God anymore. Nobody even cares about what's beyond this world or if there's more than what we can see. Um, but when people are interested in these kind of stories, it, it gives me hope that there's something deep in our hearts that's sort of... Uh, yearning for something more right and so i think <laughs> in a sense i think it's a beautiful thing to think about but yeah i didn't go see it i i wanted to but it was um it just didn't didn't end up working out <laughs> in your book hashtag blessed mother how to follow share and defend mary in the world of social media you share a little bit um throughout the book there are these little squares that say share this or tweet this or post this update this, you know, and you kind of give little suggestions on how people could share about the Blessed Virgin Mary and her role in the church and in their own lives and everything like that uh, throughout the book. And I guess I'm wondering if someone does this, let's say starting tomorrow, I wanted to tweet Mary in a sense by uh, going through and doing each one of your little boxes. Now, should I use a specific hashtag to do that? Like, do you use hashtag Blessed Mother? Would that be the, since that's the title of the book? Or do you have a, a specific hashtag in mind for people to share the content from the book so that you can kind of collect it all under one book hashtag? Oh, yeah. Hashtag Blessed Mother would be fantastic. I've been clicking on that recently and seeing people posting pictures of the book, and it really warms my heart. So if people took the advice the, in those little boxes like you like you mentioned to heart and actually like uh, took those moments to kind of share certain things about Mary as they go through the book and use that hashtag Blessed Mother, um, that would be so cool. I would love to click on it and see the collection. And I think that, um, you know, that's a hashtag that people can stumble upon because it's a very simple one. And and to be able to start seeing things that people are putting down there from the book might have an impact on even just one person to be able to have some interest or contemplate Mary even for a second longer than they would have otherwise would be a, a beautiful thing. Well, if we take over hashtag Blessed Mother, just an ordinary person who might not be reading your book or doesn't even know that you wrote a book like this, they're going to just post something about the Blessed Mother, like they went to a shrine and they put hashtag Blessed Mother, and then maybe as they click on it, they're going to discover your book. So it's kind of like this twofold discovery, people reading the book, discovering more about Mary, and people who love Mary already, discovering your book. So I can see it going both ways for sure. 
Well, wonderful. This has been such a great conversation about the Blessed Mother, about your book, Hashtag Blessed Mother, available from Our Sunday Visitor. And before I let you go, one of the things I always do with guests is build their Marian profile, which is really a series of rapid-fire questions, kind of like what you used to do on the Catholic Hipster podcast with... uh, uh, what was that? What, what did you call that, actually? Do you remember? The Catholic hipster hot seat, yeah. The hot seat, yeah. So <laughs> I call this a Marian profile, so that's what we have. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll have some t- you'll have some answers for, for these questions. The All right. <laughs> uh, your favorite title for the Blessed Mother? Uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe. Okay. And, you know, I bet kind of coming into your life now as Queen of Apostles, especially because uh, of the yes. Pauline Media family. And I think Most you definitely. I think you found a statue of Our Lady Queen of Apostles in a cemetery recently, didn't you? Yeah, at the cemetery where my son is. And, and it's it's so fascinating because I've been there, you know, hundreds and hundreds of times literally over the last four years and never really noticed until I stood in front of this statue that it was that statue. And it's uh, was made by a Pauline sister. And uh, that's just one of those things, you know, where Mary kind of sneaks up on you and is like, hey, I've been here the whole time just to <laughs> just to let you know. It's beautiful. <laughs> that was actually one of my Assumption homilies once, when Mary just shows up, that in your life, Mary just might show up, that uh, you see the statue as you're driving in the countryside, as you are walking in a cemetery. She just shows up in your life. That's so that's true. Right. How about uh, a favorite Marian sacramental that either you wear or carry with you? Uh, yes, uh, we have a, a rosary that was made from uh, the flowers at our son's funeral. So the the beads, the Hail Mary beads are like uh, encapsulated with his flower, the flowers from his funeral, which is just something we've always cherished. In your book, Hashtag Blessed Mother, you provide lots of different prayers to the Blessed Virgin Mary from saints and from the tradition. Do you have a favorite Marian prayer? I think I would have to say the Memorare is my favorite just short Marian prayer. Um, super, super powerful and and a, a great prayer when somebody needs prayer to kind of offer up for them. The rosary sometimes is, people call it repetitive, monotonous. Maybe some people struggle praying it. They don't feel that they engage the rosary prayer. Do you have a tip that might help someone pray the rosary better? Oh, yeah, sure, of course. Um, we, we were talking about this before we pressed record. The scriptural rosary you can look up online uh, as long as you're not driving. It's a very great way to stay focused on the rosary because before you pray each Hail Mary, you uh, say a Bible verse from the mystery that you're meditating on. So it's uh, very easy for us to kind of drift away from the mystery while we're praying the Hail Mary and start thinking about other things. But this one brings you back with every bead uh, and walks you through the story that you're meditating on. So I think it's a great way to start from the beginning. One of the notes I made in your book, actually, as I was reading it, was uh, you made something, a comment, and I can't, I didn't underline it. I just wrote marginal notes. I said, make the mystery conversational. And that's something that I really took away from your book, that as I think of the mystery, like, for example, the Annunciation, well, maybe I think, well, what is God calling me to do right now? Or as I reflected upon the visitation, like asking Mary to come and visit me. And so I've actually started just to do like a one or two sentence in my mind conversation with the mother of God. And it all comes from your book that that's the marginal note I made, make the mystery conversational. And I began to employ that uh, in my own meditation. So I thank you uh, for that rosary tip, even though maybe you didn't realize it as you wrote the book. That's so cool. Thank you for sharing it. I think uh, we, we forget sometimes that our faith is about a relationship, not just with Jesus, but about what with Mary and the saints. And so we can always strike up a conversation with them. It'll only help us grow closer. <laughs> it's uh, I, 
It's on page 36 that I made the marginal note, but I think it's 35, 36 for those who get the book and want to know what I'm talking about or why I was inspired by your text. So in the scriptures, Mary makes many appearances. We hear her words. She speaks words that are recorded. Do you have a favorite Marian scripture passage or phrase? Mm, sure. As a parent, my favorite is uh, when they come back and find Jesus in the temple and she says, you know, why have you done this to us? Don't you see that we've been searching for you with anxiety? I, I love that one because it's such a great authentic parenting moment for for Mary, who is someone, you know, she's the crown of creation. We rightly hold her up as the greatest human being, only human being who was ever created, right? And um, that's such a cool moment when she's just a, a normal mother. Um, but as a, just a stepping aside from the parenting thing, the wedding feast at Cana to me is the most powerful moment um, because she shows very plainly in that moment what her role is in our spirituality, right? She shows herself as an intercessor for us, and she shows that she is there to give us the message of do whatever he tells you. That that story is so powerful, and if we could correctly share what that story really means, I think it would have a huge impact on people's uh, openness to the Blessed Virgin Mary. Because we have to <laughs> we have to teach people and, and share that the Bible is not just some collection of things that happened 2,000 years ago, right? Every, every story in the Bible, every recounting of what happened means something for us today. The wedding feast at Cana is not included in there just because they ran out of wine and Jesus did a miracle. I mean, sure, that's a great thing that he did that miracle. It's the first public miracle and we need to know about that but it's deeper than that there's something for me in that in that story there's a reason that that's written in the bible for me in 2020 uh, and part of that reason is that mary shows very plainly what her role is in our life and so uh, for me the wedding feast at cana is just knock your socks off important kind of uh, marian scriptural text how about a favorite marian apparition oh man well I guess I have to go with Our Lady of Guadalupe. Uh, I've always lived in California my entire life, and Our Lady of Guadalupe is such a important part of the culture of California, um, a part of Mexican culture, and and thank God that that has like kind of sustained itself here on the West Coast in the United States, and just the um, gosh, like the the story of her and Juan Diego and their interactions is just so beautiful and so motherly. Uh, probably my favorite part is where he tries to like go around the side of Tepeyac Hill and kind of take off without uh, running into her. And then she just like shows up on his path and is like, hey, where do you think you're going? I just find that so awesome because uh, we see in Juan Diego these fears and worldly anxieties, even though he's looked upon the face of the mother of God. And it really helps me to connect uh, to both of them in a special way. Just thinking of him trying to think he can get away from her is uh, fantastic. <laughs> I remember that one of my tweets that was focused on the chimney for the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe actually talked about the perpetual virginity of Mary because we believe that Mary was a virgin before, during, and after the birth of Christ. And uh, in the apparition to Juan Diego, Our Lady says, I'm the ever-Virgin Mary. And so it's as if she confirms yeah. it, just as she confirmed the Immaculate Conception when right. she appeared mm -hmm. to Bernadette. So that was uh, something I recall uh, showing up on the chimney for that tweet. There, are, there you go. There are lots of different uh, Marian shrines, of course. There are some to the Blessed Mother under the apparitions, and apparitions are themselves shrines. But there are other titles of Mary, other devotional shrines. Is there a Marian shrine you visited that's made an impression on you? 
Oh my gosh. No, I, you know, we haven't visited very many because we just don't travel that much because we have too many kids to pay for us to go anywhere. Sure. <laughs> but if I could visit one, I would like to visit uh, the Shrine to Our Lady of Knock in Ireland. Um, I think it's one of the more underrated Marian apparitions. Uh, and I just love this idea that Mary showed up and said nothing. To me, that's a very, as an Irish Catholic, that's a very appropriate Marian apparition that she would just show up and say nothing. And (laughs) and the fact that it's been so profound for the Irish people, um, I think it would be beautiful seeing, you know, John Paul II went there and more more recently Pope Francis went there and prayed at the shrine. And um, it just is a, it's a fantastic story and a, a beautifully different Marian apparition. So I think it'd be fun to visit. I actually interviewed the rector of the Knock Shrine maybe a few weeks oh, ago cool. on the podcast, and he's like, the message of Knock has never been more important than ever before. It's like, <laughs> yes, you're right. The message has never been more important. But of course, he went on to break that down, that the silent message speaks volumes of Mary's maternal Sweet. presence and solidarity with the people. True to Irish culture, you know, they can have a Marian apparition where Mary says literally not one word, and then they can write books and books and books about the message that she brought the Irish people. Is that right? (laughs) How about a favorite Marian book or a book that you would recommend about the Blessed Mother? Oh, man, oh, man. Um, There is, let's see, I mean, the little office of the Blessed Virgin Mary is the first thing that would come to mind because it's a very important spiritual one. Um, Scott Hahn has a book about her. Is it called Queen of Heaven? Is that Uh, what it's called? Hail Holy Queen. Hail Holy Queen. Yeah. Okay. So I remember reading that um, sort of just at the beginning of my reversion back to the faith after we had our first son. And uh, that book is just, uh, it will just blow you away. It's just beautiful. I mean, Scott Hahn, of course, is like a an amazing biblical scholar. He really just knows it backwards and forwards. And the way he explains the things about Mary, it's like, it all makes sense. And it's just beautiful and profound. So if you're looking for one, that's that's a really beautiful book. And lastly, when you go to a mass on one of these feast days of Our Lady, maybe the Feast of the Holy Name of Mary that we just celebrated, the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, the Immaculate Conception, the Assumption, Mother of God, whatever. Is there a Marian song that you always hope that they will sing? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, I, I think the Salve Regina is the one that's the, the most like intensely beautiful for me. Um, it's just so powerful. And I, you know, you, I, I know I've shared this on social media a lot, but when you go to a Marian uh, Feast Day Mass, you're like, dang, all these hymns are so great. Like, <laughs> this is like the peak mass for me because I just love all of the prayers, all of the the hymns that they sing. But the Salve Regina, I, I love um, belting that one out with my kids for sure. Well, that's great. And that concludes your Marian profile. And I thank you so much today for our conversation, our conversation about your book, hashtag Blessed Mother, how to follow, share, and defend Mary in the world of social media. You can find it on Amazon or Our Sunday Visitor. Uh, go and find this book and begin to share about the Blessed Virgin Mary with your friends and followers on social media. And if people want to learn more about you, Tommy, how can they find you on the internet? Sure, they can go to catholichipster.com or uh, at the GH is silent on Twitter. Either way, they'll find out plenty. And then you also write for different publications, including Angelus News, I think, down in Los Angeles, and they can find all of your writings as they follow you on social media. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, just look me up and and then send me an email and say hi. (laughs) Well, thanks again for this lovely conversation about the Blessed Mother, and I'll be entrusting you and your family to Our Lady as the Queen of Families, praying for God's abundant blessings to come to you through her hands. So thanks so much, Tommy. Yeah, thank you, Father. Have a wonderful day. You've been listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary. 
I hope that this podcast has either been the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. You can follow me, Father Edward Looney, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at the handle at FR Edward Looney. If you don't mind, please do me a favor. Rate this podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Leave a review. Share why you like this podcast. Share this podcast on your social media so that your family and friends might come to know the love that the Mother of God has for them, just as you have experienced it yourselves. Until next week, let us remain united in prayer to Jesus through Mary. God bless.